In this video, we will discuss the religious spirit. You may have heard about this term before of some religious spirit and how it tries to work behind the scenes. But in this video, I hope to give you a solid understanding of really what we are dealing with when we say or talk about something like a religious spirit. Now, first off, you need to understand when I say a religious spirit, I'm not talking about someone who is possessed by a demon, but I am talking about a demon. You see, demon possession is one thing, but de demonic oppression is something else. Demonic oppression happens to the best of us. The enemy comes and he tries to deceive us. And whenever we give him a gap in our lives, he comes with oppression, whether that is in the form of sickness or emotional depression or attacks, or whether that is manifest in our character flaws. Ultimately, it comes down to how we allow by giving authority to the enemy, we allow him to work in our lives. We have a Holy Spirit of God that has been sent for us to indwell us, fill us so that we can have the character of our God, of Yeshua, Jesus himself, that character of love. But there are also other spirits in this world, demonic spirits, and they try to bring their characters into our lives. They want to have their characters inside of us so that that is what we imitate instead of our Messiah. And so it is important for us to really understand these things, because if you don't know what you're dealing with and the enemy that you are fighting, then it can be a real struggle to identify his hand in your life when he's trying to attack you or even work through you or simply to put his character inside you. You see, when you can identify these things right at the door, you can stop it at the door before it starts taking over your life to make you think that it's just another part of life and just another part of normality, even though it's not supposed to be normal. The normal Christian life, the normal Christian walk is to walk like our Messiah, to have his character and nothing else. While we don't have a Bible verse that explicitly explains to us this religious spirit, this demonic, unclean spirit, we can very clearly see the spirit through the pages of our Bible. For example, the Pharisees, the certain Pharisee groups that were coming up against Jesus were ones who very prevalently showed attributes of this demonic spirit working in their lives. This is one of the main reasons they rejected our Messiah. We can even see elements of the spirit within Judas, the great betrayer. And we're going to talk about these examples in a moment. But first, you need to realize perhaps the biggest danger of the spirit. And that is that is it is incredibly difficult to identify the spirit in the life of someone when they are the person being oppressed. If you have a, d a religious demonic spirit working in your life, trying to change your character into something unclean, it is difficult to identify it 
because one of the main purposes of that spirit is to blind you from seeing it. In fact, the one of the main purposes of the spirit is to be against everything that the Holy Spirit does. The religious spirit hates the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's works in our life. And so we will feel like it is us having these feelings and these feelings will even feel true. But it wouldn't be. It would be, in fact, in opposition to the Holy Spirit. The religious spirit tries to take advantage of our flesh. It tries to take advantage of our carnal mind, which the word says is at enmity with the spirit at enmity with God. So there is that's where the, this spirit dwells. It dwells in the flesh. It tries to take advantage of the flesh. And so we feel like it's our feelings. We feel like it's our desires. We feel like it's our thoughts. We think it is us. But yes, it is. But it's a spirit that is influencing us and we don't even realize it. And so I hope that this video will open your eyes to be able to realize it if it's there in your life or in the life of someone else. And so quickly put some of the main goals of this religious spirit is the following. It is to cause division, division in the body of believers, especially where the Holy Spirit starts moving. It tries to put people up against each other. It also attempts to discredit the truth by mixing it with lies. It'll take truth and then repackage it with lies to cause confusion. It'll stop believers from walking in spiritual gifts, fruits of the spirit or anything to do with the spirit. It hates the spirit and the, the works of the Holy Spirit. And so it'll lie and deceive and cause division to stop that from going forth. And it ultimately draws the person into a state of dead religion that has no power. It's like dead works with no saving faith. And this often leads to a total rejection of religion, even into atheism. One of the main things we need to realize is that when I speak about religion or this religious spirit, we need to clarify what that means. The fact is that the scripture is not against the word religion per se. The scripture says that pure religion is looking after the poor, the homeless, the needy, the lost of this world and caring for those who need deliverance and salvation and freedom. That is pure, undefiled religion before God. And that is not wrong. The word religion itself is not wrong either. It's there's nothing wrong with it. But Religion oftentimes is attributed to religious works or things that we do. And of course, what we do is very important. It's an incredibly important part of our faith and walking out. I mean, you can't walk like your Messiah if you don't do what he did, if you don't do the works he did, of course. Right. So works are important. Even religious works are important. But the problem comes when we start taking our religious works and we start thinking of those as an element that makes us more righteous or more holy or better than someone else. If we think that just because we fed the poor, we are now a better person or just because we helped the lady cross the street, 
that excuses us from other sins or makes us better than other people. That's where the danger creeps in. The unfortunate reality is, is that as soon as we do something good as people, we love to receive praise for it or some kind of reward for it. It's just how we're wired, but it is actually in contradiction to how to biblically walk our lives out. When I say that that is how we are wired, that is not originally about how God made us to be, but rather that is an element that came with the fall. The fall of man brought in something that is that idea of our works and what we do can justify us before God. And all the religions of the world work like this. They believe that if they do enough good things, their gods will excuse their bad things. Right. And they think that they can do enough good things to be a good person. But again, the Bible scripture teaches the opposite. It teaches that no matter how much you try and do, no matter how many good works you have or how many old ladies you helped across the street, that will not be something that can justify you as holy or righteous before God. And it shouldn't justify you as holy or righteous even before men. And so what this religious spirit, this evil, unclean spirit tries to do is it tries to pull us into this idea of inspiring pride in us to make us think that we are better, we are good and it, it puffs us up. And then we look down on others, just much like the Pharisees, right? Where Jesus told us the parable about the Pharisees saying he was praying and saying, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. I'm not like this tax collector. I thank you. I tithe all my the 10 percent. I fast twice a week. I, I do all these good things. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like these men who don't do that. I'm not as bad of a sinner as they are. Right. And that is the religious spirit right there. See, is there anything wrong with tithing? No. Is there anything wrong with doing good things like that? No, of course not. It is good. It is wonderful. That was not the sin of the Pharisee. It's not the work in itself, but it is rather what that work has inspired in the heart of the man who does it when it inspires pride, when it inspires the man to go and think that he is something better, holy or that that even justifies him before God as someone good. This is why our Messiah had to come and die. As many of you understand, he came so that he what he does makes us right before God, not what we do alone, but what he does. Now, that is important to understand. And you need to understand that that you can believe that and think that. And then the next day you can start th doing all these things and you can slowly start believing that all these good things you're doing is making you better and more holy and making you all these X, Y, Z things. That's what the enemy tries to do. Even if we can come back and say, yes, Jesus died for me. Then after that, we can the enemy still tries to lure us away from the idea that we are saved by faith. And he will try and lure us into this idea that our works is what brings us salvation. Our works is what makes us a better person in God's eyes. I want to remind you that if you have fallen short of even 
the least of the laws. You have broken the law and you are liable. You are, you are uh, qualified. You deserve, in fact, death. You, you can't come by it. If you've sinned once in your life, if you've made one little white lie mistake, that is enough to separate you. That is enough to take you away from God because he is so holy, pure, perfect that any bit of imperfection, any little spot will cause you to be destroyed in his presence. That means you can't get away with anything because you have many sins. And if you think you don't, you are deceived and prideful. Because ultimately what the religious spirit tries to do is it makes us first just slowly wander off away from Christ, away from the cross, away from trusting on what he has done for our holiness, our salvation. And now we start trusting in our little things, our little works, our little tithings and offerings and sacrifices that we make instead of trusting on what he's done as salvation. And slowly but surely, we start walking away from the cross and we have seen this. I'm sure many of you have seen this. People start on this rabbit trail and then they start going off course and then they start denying Messiah itself. He say they say, no, he he's not the true Messiah because they believe they've been led to be deceived, to believe that their own works is enough to make them right before God. This is what Judaism has fallen to. Orthodox Judaism, those who have denied Messiah, they believe that they are able to be made holy by their own good works. If they do enough, they'll be okay. And the uh, Muslims believe the same. You know, Buddhism, every other religion believes the same thing in its essence, that they can do enough. God says you can't. That's why I did it. God says you can't do it. And ultimately, then we see that after they start denying Messiah later, then they even sometimes go totally all the way to the right and they go and they fall into unbelief completely. They totally reject that there is a God. They may be going to atheism or anything like that, because then they find when they start figuring out that because they left Messiah, now things start going worse, bad and bad with them and curses start coming on their life. Now they get hurt, they get angry at God and they don't understand why. And then they reject God completely and they go become and become atheists. But it only started because initially they rejected Messiah, the only one who can take the curses away, the only one that can bring deliverance. And if God has already said, if you reject Messiah, you reject him, you reject the father. There's no such thing as rejecting the Messiah, but keeping the father. So it's just a matter of time before there is a complete departure then from God in itself. And so as of all things, there needs to be balance. So let me just add to this that our works do matter very, very much. Our works are not what saves us, but after we get saved through our belief in Messiah, our works is the evidence of that faith. In other words, we need to have a change in our lives. Things are going to we're going to start doing different things versus before coming to our Messiah. And in the book of Revelation, we do read about how we will be judged based of our works by the book of works that will be opened.
not for our salvation, but as our Messiah said in Matthew 5, that there will be a greatest and the least in the kingdom of heaven. And it is going to be dependent on our works. And this all brings us to our first element of an unclean religious spirit. And this is perhaps the most obvious. And that is that it masquerades as a very religious, a very good works orientated kind of character, all while rejecting Christ as the one that makes holy. Now, like I mentioned earlier, there's a balance. There's nothing wrong with good works, but it is when we reject Christ and we then actually have enough pride to think that we don't need his cleansing power through his sacrifice, but that we are able to do it all alone. That is actually that is false. That is a deception. That is a, a, a heart of pride that believes that. Now, this is, of course, the most obvious, but I'd like us to now go into some more that aren't as obvious. The second element is that the religious spirit will cause men to become very zealous, very passionate, but not about truth. There's nothing wrong again with being passionate or even zealous when it comes to being zealous for the right reason. And that is about the truth. But the religious spirit will make you think that because you feel passionate and because you feel zealous about a peculiar, peculiar thing in your heart, that that must be truth because of your zealousness in which you have to execute regarding it. But that's not the case. In fact, one of the most humiliating things that will ever happen to any man is when they will come to him one day and they will come to him and brag about all the great things they've done for him, all the religious works they've done, all the amazing things. And then he will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. You worker of lawlessness. Our father says this in Matthew 7 verse 23. He says that People will do that. They will think that their works, their certain things were the thing that made them holy and righteous. All while they completely either directly rejected Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua, or indirectly by having a lifestyle full of sin and lawlessness while they're doing these other things on the side. And that brings us to our number three element of this unclean religious spirit. And that is that this spirit will do all these sins. It will it will be it will tell you that it is fine to have this and that sin in your life. It is fine to sleep with your girlfriend. It is fine to do X, Y and Z. But as long as you do enough good things to outweigh the bad, you'll be all right. Now, this is what the Pharisees believed. They believe that because they keep the Sabbath, because they do their tithings, they fast twice a week, they do all these good things that they're all right with God. Those are the things that make them all right. And it cancels out, in fact, their bad, their sins. But didn't Jesus oftentimes rebuke them for their hidden sins, the ones that no one saw, the ones behind closed doors? 
You see, we need to be thorough so as not to be lawless in our closets. We need to make sure that we're living lives that are holy, that do not reject him by our works. Because here's the thing, brothers and sisters, is God has so much mercy and grace for us when we fall, when we fail, when we make mistakes, when we sin. He he picks us up as we repent and he runs and he carries us on. Lord, he, he guides us. He gives us freedom and he is patient in our sufferings. He understands them. But it is when we go in a heart of rebellion and we start doing sin and we start saying, you know what? This sin, I love too much and I can't give it up and I will not give it up. I'm not even going to try and give it up. I, I love this thing too much. And you have this thing and it's in the closet so no one can see it as far as you know. So therefore you keep doing it. But the father sees all things. And in that act, you're actually rejecting him. You're rejecting the sacrifice. You're trampling Messiah underfoot. And you are saying, I don't, I don't respect you. Imagine putting him on the cross again and again and again for your sins. Basically telling him while he's on the cross saying, oh, you know what? You got on the cross for me. You're taking all my sin, but you know what? I have this one sin. I don't want to let you have it. I am going to keep it for myself. I love the bondage that this sin brings. So I'm rather going to choose that bondage of Egypt instead of the freedom in Jerusalem. You see, the religious spirit will try and tell you that because you have good scriptural knowledge, head knowledge, intellectuality, understanding about what the scripture says, and you may even have it all memorized. And it'll tell you that that is a religious work of knowing it that qualifies you as good before God. So you'll think that it's okay to have the scriptural knowledge while not having the scriptural application in your life. You'll think it's okay to have the knowledge, but not actually do what the knowledge tells you to do. And these people who struggle with this religious spirit, they can oftentimes quote the Bible better than anyone else. But they yet. They never seem to be able to come to a full applicational walking out of what they are saying. They can quote it all, but they never have the fruit in their lives that show what they quote. And we see this is prophesied throughout scripture that these people will come and even more so come in the last days. In other words, that this, this religious spirit that causes this will become more apparent in the last days. We read this in 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. They're always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And as the scriptures say, they have this appearance of godliness, appearance of religiousness, but they deny the very power of what they say they believe in. Because if they actually believed in what they say they believed in, then they would have the power of what they believe manifest in their life. They will see change in their lives, but they don't. And they're always learning, never able to understand 
to to come to the knowledge of the truth they're not they're never able to actually have that application and that they think it's okay they never have the fruit they think it's okay but it's not it's them being deceived by a religious spirit the next element of this unclean spirit i want to talk about is that it hates and scoffs at spiritual giftings now this is one that i think is very prevalent and i think we have struggled to really see that the enemy is the one who is behind much of this the enemy is the one who is behind the oppression of spiritual giftings and the movings of the holy spirit in the church and the body of christ and this religious spirit is the one of the biggest spirits behind it all you see here's the problem a person who is oppressed by a religious spirit they have an incompatibility with the holy spirit because of their pride and because of that they don't have the power of God in their lives. They don't have spiritual gifts or anything that comes with the spirit operating in their lives and any real measurable power. And so then when they see someone else operating a spiritual giftings or any power of the Holy Spirit, they will be the first ones to point the finger and say and criticize and gossip and say that that is a demon, that that is wrong, that is not of God, even if it is because this other person's power in their life by the Holy Spirit is actually illuminating this person with the religious spirits, their lack of the Holy Spirit. Because it shows their lack when when there's someone walking very brightly in the Holy Spirit, it just exposes those who don't walk in the Holy Spirit. It just shows their lack. And the person that is the, has the religious spirit hates it because they're all about themselves. They're all about being up, up, um, exalted by men. And this is why the Pharisees hated it when Yeshua cast the demons out. They came and said, he does these things by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. Remember? So they're, they're, they're pointing out that, that Jesus does these things by a demonic spirit so that they look better. Because they're not casting out demons with success. They're not seeing the power of God work through them like it is in the Messiah. And so now they point the finger and say, no, it must be something else. It's a demon working through them or whatever, because their image is in trouble, because the religious spirit in their hearts is offended. And so this is why if you want to walk in the Holy Spirit, one of the first things that needs to happen, you need to get rid of any religious spiritual oppressions in your life. You need to tell God to deliver you, ask him to deliver you from it so that you can walk in freedom and not be blinded and look at the world through these glasses of this religious spirit that is unclean. And so the next thing that I want to talk about is that this unclean religious spirit will get stuck on useless and empty disputes about the law continuously. It will be people who are always arguing about things about God's word that are not important things. And what I mean by that is important for you to understand, because just because someone is talking 
or even debating scripture doesn't mean that that is a useless dispute. No, that is not what it means. A useless dispute must be useless to be useless. It has to be a dispute about the word that is not important. And what defines something as important is not our opinions or our feelings, but rather the word itself. We read in Titus 3 verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. The person being described in Titus 3 is someone who is being oppressed by a religious spirit. It is someone who is causing division. It is someone who is arguing about useless things, dissensions, things that are not important about the law. Look, there's nothing wrong with discussing the law like I mentioned. It is important to discuss it. It is part of what we do in our fellowship as we discuss the word. We learn from each other, but it is when we take things from outside the word or things about the word, but things that aren't in the word and we start causing this unity, we start causing division. Let's just look at the examples of what Judaism has done. Oftentimes is we see how they've built these rail guards around the law of God. So they'll say that to keep the Sabbath, you can't turn the light switch on, right? And that is not in the Bible. That is an addition by man. And then they'll argue about how to keep the Sabbath regarding whether we should turn the light switch on or off. And they will cause per disputes that will cause divisions. They will break up fellowships because of that matter. But they fail to actually see the spirit then of the commandment, which is to give life. Right? So this is the example of things that are useless disputes about the law. And those are things we need to be careful of because then it wastes our time. We'd spend all our time on useless things, things that aren't important, as important as the word. And then we never get to the actually important things. And that's what the religious spirit tries to do. It tries to get us hung up on religious acts and things that aren't important, the things that aren't in the word or things that are useless disputes. And so then furthermore, the next element that we'll be talking about is that the religious spirit has no real discernment. People who have a religious spirit, they 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 struggle to really, truly discern rightly. And they will often be the ones to point the finger and for example, preachers who have brought millions of people to God, for example, and who have effective ministries that proclaim the salvation of Yeshua, of Jesus. And then they these people will go and point the finger at these pastors, these preachers, evangelists, and they will say because of this one little thing that they disagree on, which is not a deal breaker, even if it was an issue. Then because of that one thing, they'll say this person is a false prophet and everything that they do is demonic and wrong and we need to stay away and they're going to deceive everyone. You see, the religious spirit can't take it when someone disagrees with them 
Because they're right in everything, aren't they? They're, they're, they're faultless. They're able to carry their own salvation. They're able to be all these things. So therefore, anyone else who disagrees must automatically be wrong. They see because it takes true humility to be able to take correction or to even admit that you're wrong about something or to accept that there is a possibility that you are wrong about something and then therefore exercise caution when making judgments. Because unless you're 150% sure you're right, you better be careful about how you judge. Especially when it comes to judging others, which I do not even recommend. Neither does our Messiah. But regardless, the people who suffer from this religious spirit will make judgments on salvation left and right. Something they were never called to do, something it's not their job to do. And they were very often on top of that judge people as guilty by their association with certain other people they don't like. For example, you have someone that is a good preacher, but then they once go and they talked with someone who we don't think is a good man. And now we automatically paint this preacher as a bad man. And we say because they associated this preacher is just as bad. Right. Just like what the Pharisees did. Again, an example of people who had a religious spirit and working among them. They were constantly on Yeshua's case and they were saying, look, he's hanging out with prostitutes. He's hanging out with a drunkard. He's hanging out with a tax collector or whatever the case. And therefore, he is just like them, because if he was a true prophet, he would be able to know that the person he's speaking to as a defiled man or a defiled woman. But we know that our Messiah wasn't defiled. He, in fact, went for those who were sick. It is the sick who needs a doctor. But the religious spirit doesn't like that because the religious spirit doesn't want anyone getting helped by the doctor. In fact, the religious spirit itself that influences the person and that person doesn't help anyone in their lives. They are not a minister of deliverance or freedom to others. So when they see ministers of deliverance and freedom who are ministering to the lost and the brokenhearted, then they will point the finger because they themselves don't do that. This is why Yeshua's words often to those with religious spirits were that take out the plank of your own eye first before you judge your brother. Because the one a religious spirit will always try to judge others because it actually exposes their own lack. It exposes their own powerlessness. The religious spirit constantly accuses, gossips, slanders others who disagree with their religious works. So just because someone else have a different work, a different way of doing something, a different belief about something. And by the way, tons of things aren't salvation issues. And we will disagree with one another on tons of things as people. You know, you will be very hard pressed to find someone who will agree with you on everything. In fact, I will say it's even an impossibility. Just sit down long enough with any person on earth and you will find something to disagree with sooner or later. But it takes humility to not have that to be a stumbling block to you. But the person who is, has a religious spirit finds all disagreements as incredible stumbling blocks. It blow, they blew it up, blow it up bigger than it is. 
and the excommunicated people. Acts 15 taught us that we need to, when we are talking to people who are new believers or when we're talking to anyone who's not a, believe, a new believer or if they've been a believer for a little while, doesn't matter. They're going to be in a different place than we are. They're going to have different convictions. God has worked in their hearts in different areas, perfected them in different areas than we. And they're going to have a little bit of a different walk in some areas than we. And so because this religious spirit causes people to really struggle with others and so often to judge others, you'll find that the religious spirit is completely incompatible with fellowship and that people who have a religious spirit will hop from one fellowship to the next and they will never find satisfaction. They will always find tons of issues and they will have tons of reasons on why they disagree on puny little things and they will just leave and slander and it will be horrible every time and they will never find a place to rest their feet. If you find issues with everything, you will never be able to foster good relationships of fellowship. You see, brothers and sisters, here's the thing is that a fellowship, a, pl- a community where you go to learn and grow in the word and in a relationship with God is built on two big elements. And number one, that is to give and the other one is to receive. Okay, so when you go to a fellowship, you're going to go, number one, to give, to serve, right? Like that's what our Messiah called us. Jesus called us to serve. Okay, so we go to give, to serve. But sometimes people with a religious spirit, the way that they want to give is they want to give correction everywhere in ways that are not with love. They want to argue. That's how they want to give. And then they never want to receive any correction. They don't want to receive any teaching unless it 100% agrees with their idea before they even come in. And so, brothers and sisters, as you can see, there's many ways that a religious spirit can rear its head, if you will. And, you know, one of the most scriptural examples that we can even talk about which I just want to touch on for a second here is simply the great betrayer, Judas. We read this very clear example in John chapter 12, verse three. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, I mean, let's just be honest for a second here. On face value, if we look at what Judas was saying here, forget about that. It was Judas who says it for a second. And we can think of it even as a very religious statement, even maybe a noble statement. Yeah, we can use that money for something better. We could rather buy things for the poor or whatever. It sounds good, right? Instead of wasting it on perfume, you know, it it sounds noble, but it was wrong. He was speaking from a religious, demonic, evil spirit when he was saying this. Why? 
How do we know this? Because Judas's true heart behind what he was saying was self-seeking and prideful. He didn't care about the poor. He didn't care about where the money really went, except for his own pocket. That's what the religious spirit wants to do. It always just wants to exalt itself, improve its own circumstances. It never wants to become humble to give to others. When we read on, we read this. It says that Judas said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always will have with you, but you do not always have me. And so, brothers and sisters, I am highlighting all these things to you for a reason. And that is not so that you can go and point the finger at others. It is so that you can consider pointing the finger at yourself. And truly, truly, I'm saying this to you. Please accept this humbly from me is that we need to audit our lives with these ideas and see whether there's any of that in our hearts, any of these elements in our hearts, because the enemy may just be really trying to snuggle his way into your life in some way. If there's any of these elements taking root in any way or form. And the good news is, is that the only thing that you need to get rid of it, it's It's pretty simple, but it's not easy. It requires the most valuable thing possibly that we can have. And that is humility. Something that is incredibly difficult sometimes, especially for those who suffer with this condition. But if we go to our father and we say, Lord, I have been selfish. I have been self-seeking. I have been religious about things I shouldn't be religious about. Like the father said, true religion is this is to give of yourself to sacrifice, to make a sacrifice of time, of money, of yourself, whatever way your life. That is what true religion, undefiled religion is. But defiled religion, the one we've been talking about in this video, is one that looks all beautiful on the outside, but is rich, a pitiful, poor, blind and naked on the inside. One that is simply a character of self-seeking and pride. Go to your father get on your knees. Ask him to forgive you where you have been prideful and to take any religious spirit from your heart so you may be delivered. So you can then take upon yourself the character of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Father, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, right now. We just come to you, Lord. And God, I thank you at the sound of my voice, Father, every person, Lord, who has a heart of repentance now, God, I thank you, Lord. You are the one who draws people with your kindness, Lord, and you rejoice and take pleasure in our repentance where we need to repent. And Lord, so Lord, I just thank you, Lord. We command every religious spirit, we command it to go In the name of Yeshua, we command it to leave in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for freedom. I thank you, Lord, for washing us clean of those defilements of that pride. Lord, I thank you for creating a heart of humility in us that is free, Lord, 
from the enemy's character attributes, but full of yours, full of your Holy Spirit's gentleness, love, kindness, peace, self-sacrifice. Lord, create a humble heart in us and take our, our heart of stone. In the name of Yeshua, amen.